You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're well. Now, the interview subject coming up for you is Mark Heilman. He's the guitarist in long-running US deathcore forefathers, Suicide Silence, and the reason for the chat is to talk up the band's brand new album for 2020. It's called Become the Hunter, and it will be out on Valentine's Day. Something else I'll add just quickly, this is one of those conversations where we talk about all kind of subjects. I love it when a musician goes there, and let me tell you, Mark truly does. He's a damn good bloke and a great guitarist. What more could you want? So here he is, Mark Heilman from Suicide Silence. Hey, it's Andy McCoy-Smith calling. How are you going? Hey, man, I am good, dude. How are you doing? Mate, I'm doing very well, and I've got to tell you, brother, I've been looking forward to having a talk to you for some years now, so it's a real thrill to finally get that opportunity. Fuck yeah, dude, that's cool, man. Well, <laughs> the, the pleasure is all mine. Wonderful. Look, I, I do rate your guitar playing. I do think you're one of the, one of the uh, best riff merchants, if I can use that term, in heavy metal of the last 20 years or so. And I think, I think Suicide Silence's career has more or less been based on so many of the wonderful riffs that you brought to the table, man. And I don't think you get nearly enough credit for it, to be honest with you. And the first example that I'm going to use for you is the absolutely killer riff that you've used here on Two Steps on Become the Hunter, mate. Where did that one come from? Um, I think shit dude i don't know man i think that song came out of uh the inspiration of playing a live show and trying to get circle pits going i mean Mm. if you're you're talking about like the intro riff like the fucking yeah that's like like that that's that's like a combination of like dying fetus and sepultura and fucking slipknot like yeah all just kind of like jumbled into one to to try and get some fucking pits going like that's straight up where where it's at <laughs> yeah i look I, i've said this a few times there, there's yourself um uh, travis from um uh, amur um you've got oh him. yeah you know i mean you guys are really for you guys are following in the footsteps of the great dime you know i mean ever since he's gone man there's just been this hunger as you no doubt well aware, I mean, you're up there on stage, you're seeing people reacting to the wonderful riffs that you're produced, you've produced and now playing, and you're seeing that reaction, man. So people just connect with really gnarly, well-written, well-crafted, brutal riffage, you know, and there's not enough written about it or spoken about it, I don't think, and I'm talking to one of the premier riff merchants in the world, man, and as I say, I just don't think the guitar worlds and the ultimate guitars and the guitars for practicing musician, if that magazine is still going, I don't know whether they are anymore. I haven't read them in years, mate. But do, mate, do these I don't, I don't do, <laughs> do these do these guitar magazines and publications online or otherwise? Do they reach out to you for conversations and really want you to dive into your technique and tone? Um, I the thing is is I've done Guitar World and um and all the Ultimate Guitar and all that stuff. The thing is, is that the people, you know, as you probably know too, like there's, there's, there's guitar players and guitar playing and the, the guitar media, but then there's metal guitar media mm-hmm. and the, the, the real, you know, guitar media, I think it's still very much in the, um, Billy Gibbons, Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, no disrespect. Van Halen, yeah, I get that's, it. Yeah. That's, what, that's what got me fucking playing guitar, but when it really comes down to like the media of guitar, uh, it hasn't really jumped to, you know, giving the praise to uh, a lot of the, the modern guys, except for people maybe like Tosin Abasi or, uh, yeah, fantastic uh, or, 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 Misha, or Misha and like, Periphery. obviously all these people that deserve, they deserve uh, the, the credit they get. But I think that um, when it comes to extreme, like deathcore or death metal and stuff like that. Mm. I don't think that the guitar media or the big, the big ones, I don't think they've jumped over to, to guys like us yet. Yeah. I know. I don't understand that, mate, because you guys are the ones that are selling because of your endorsements and you, you'd know this through ESP. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd probably share with you some of the numbers because of you guys, you're actually getting people into guitar. And that's really important. I talk a lot about that on my podcast is that there are some guitarists out there that just never get the credit like yourself who have inspired so many 
young hands to pick up the guitar and to give it a bit of a crack. And look, I'm 41, so I, I don't even remember Hendrix. You know what I'm saying? Hendrix was being written about as a yeah. classic artist in the 90s. But there's there's, there's so many... I, I can't mention all of them, okay? But you know where I'm headed because you're, you're in firmly in this basket that... But they seem to ignore, and, and I just don't get it. I mean, how many times, and I mean this with the greatest of respect and reverence, can Van Halen be on a cover of a guitar publication or the lead article in a guitar publication when I just don't think the kids are into that, mate? And I've got to be frank about this, you know, and I, I think there's this there's retro thing going on within heavy metal where I see 14-year-olds wearing Judas Priest T-shirts and Iron Maiden T-shirts. I can kind of understand that because... People such as yourself have been very vociferous in terms of giving praise to the great masters, as I call them. There, but I think they've got to move on, man, and, and they've got to realise that if you actually follow the money too, it's you guys that are actually keeping the industry afloat. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, where you said you don't think that the kids are necessarily interested in some of those older and greater people, I don't think the kids are necessarily interested in guitar world or, or ultimate guitar. Mm -hmm. I don't think they really, uh, or guitar one. I don't even know if that exists anymore. I mean, um, I grew up, you know, going to, you know, the magazine section of anywhere I was and reading guitar world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, that's definitely where I was at, but I don't think that that is where the kids are at anymore. They're going on YouTube and they're looking up who's got a YouTube channel or who is, uh, you know, playing guitar on their Instagram page. And, you know, it's, it's almost not needed to be in those magazines. It's cool for me to like, you know, I, I do have a guitar world interview next week. Um, but it's cool Sweet. for me to do it. But yeah. when I, when I talk to whoever that guy is, when I talk to him, I guarantee he isn't really going to know who I am. He's going to be doing the interview yes. because somebody told him he should. Yes, that's a really good point there. I don't know why they're so far bloody behind the times because there's such a big opportunity, there's such a massive market out there for them with the, the let's call it the 14 to 30 age group who just don't get into the older bands and the like. And, and to your exact point, I know this because I've spoken to Lucas Mann about this sort of stuff. Man, they're, they're following these bands on Instagram, you know, Rings of Satin, and yep. they, they want to know what the hell's going on. How do you play like that? Like, how do you get to a point where you're playing like, you know, triple arpeggios? This sort of thing. Sure. This is what they're interested in. They're not necessarily interested in the gear side of things. Remember those magazines when we were growing up and they talk about, talk us through from the, the signal through the chain, so from the guitar through to the amps. Most kids don't even yeah. buy an amp these days. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's, true. It's, more it's more affordable to get an Axe Effects or a Kemper as a young kid and learn how to fucking, yes. you know, learn what the effects are and learn how to, you know, how to manipulate them. I totally know what you mean, dude. I totally know. Yeah, it's, it's um, crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, I think that guitar is going in a direction that um, was pretty unpredictable. And I've watched it kind of happen over the years um, where mm -hmm. kids can learn how to play guitar uh, from YouTube and from the internet. And it's yeah. made them, you know, extremely fucking talented guitar players with, you know, ripping fucking shred skills. I still definitely, you know, I pride myself in the fact that like I had teachers, I had guitar teachers, mm -hmm. I had guitar magazines, and I definitely was learning how to play guitar before the YouTube era of guitar. And uh, I still, I still, I mean, I always, you know, like Randy Rhodes, he was a big influence yeah. on me and I would always read about He'd be on tour and he would find someone to get a lesson to lesson from wherever he was. He would find a guitar teacher and get a lesson. And that, that was always something that inspired me. And like, once I started touring, it's like, all right, who is fucking sick on tour? Who plays, who's, who's ripping? Like, I'm going to get a lesson from, you know, every guitar player I possibly can wherever I go, which I still feel like, you know, so many people in, in our scene and in the guitar you know, not the magazine, but in the world of guitar, um, hmm. you know, I've, I've picked up things along the way from everybody and it's still, you know, it's still how I do it. It's still how I really like to do it from, from humans. Not like, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not really a YouTube guitar player. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, mate. I think if you had your own, own channel, you might have your own channel, but I haven't, I haven't seen it. But if you, if you did, or you do have your own channel, man, there would be, there'd be a lot of interest in that. You know, there's a lot of kids well, out maybe, there that cite you specifically as an influence. 
Yeah, maybe I, maybe I should do it. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of where the it's just it's where my where my passion lies. You know, I'd be afraid I would start it and then I wouldn't like keep going with it. Oh, but yeah. maybe I should. Yeah, oh, well. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, I do. Suicide yeah. Silence already is like it's like a damn near full time job. So, uh, but I, you're right. You know, I really like like Ola England, like what he does. Uh, mm-hmm. with his page like it's very entertaining and he go, he does everything from gear to you know looking at bands that he that people tell him he needs to listen to yeah. and you know interviews and stuff like his his page is great um but yeah maybe you're right maybe i should make a youtube page or a youtube channel look i'd love to see it but i mean it all just comes down to how much time you've got you've probably got a family as well and you're doing the band as a full-time commitment i mean how many bloody hours are there in the day and then there's also the energy that you got to devote to these I know. as well, man. It's it's a balance, man. Let me tell you, in my forties, man, I just don't have the energy. You know, even though I'm right. swimming and I don't even drink as much as I used to. You know what I mean? But I bloody <laughs> <laughs> but they say don't drink as much and you get more energy back. I say bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> the booze helps. The booze helps, man. It brings the charisma out. <laughs> uh, does. I don't know what to say, brother. I'm with you, man. I've Jeez, I'll just, yeah, side, you know, go on a 90 degree tangent for a sec. But yeah, it's so true. I mean, if I didn't have alcohol occasionally to sort of look forward to at the end of a very long, long week of being yelled at by my kids and trying to get through uni and working in my media role and all the rest of it, mate, what the hell else are we supposed to do, mate? Sit in a room by ourselves and look at a blank wall? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. It's all about control, though, you know? It is. It's hard. It is, yeah. (laughs) Mate, control. I might, look, I know we. Gosh, I'm, I really like this album. I got to say, "Become the Hunter." Okay, but but Thanks. I've also I've also got to say, I actually really enjoyed your last one, your self-titled one. Oh, cool. So I was really, cool. and I had a chat to Dan Kenny about the last one when it came out. You know, on these interview cycles. So it was a couple of years back, 2017 or so. So, I guess mm-hmm. my first proper question for you is is about the album. Is would would you describe "Become the Hunter" as a reaction to what happened on the self-titled album? I think everything is always kind of a reaction to, you know, what you've done prior. I think, uh, in this instance, you know, where, where we were as people before we did the self-titled was kind of in this, in an absolute, like explorative area where even before we, we got to the fifth record, like, Hmm we look at, you know, as you say, like the masters, we look at the people and the bands before us and we see what they've done. And any band that's made it to their fifth record that we really idolize, you know, they all make a big change. Like, let's just say Metallica, first of all, they they do something, they do something and they experiment and go, go elsewhere. And we knew that if we were going to make it to our fifth record, we were going to experiment. We were going to do something a lot different. And as far as it being, you know, a reaction, this, this next record, uh, I think the reaction is that we got all the ex- exploration out of our system and revitalized the desire to, to be fucking brutal and mm-hmm. to make it, to make it, to make it be this, you know, to, to do what we know we are super good at and what we're known for, you know, if there's any kind of mm-hmm. uh, reaction is that if anybody was saying, you know, that, you know, we lost our heavy or like, you know, we're, we're not like a heavy band anymore. Like our, our, our reaction is like, like little do you know, like, you know, we were, we weren't joking when we said on the last cycle that it's like, we could write, you know, a death core or a death metal album kind of in our sleep you know yeah and that's just like it, that isn't what we wanted to do on the last record we didn't want to just go through the motions so on this one we it wouldn't it wasn't going through the motions it's like we know what we need to do and we're gonna fucking do it and we're gonna do it the best we've ever done it mm-hmm. i thought i thought you really channeled your inner hendrix on the last album and i think that's what i liked about it. i know i just talked about sort of you know not sort of fawning over the the masters and the greats so to speak but i loved the opening to doris how it sounds you've got that wah thing going on and then you just guys just cut straight into it and one of the things that dan told me about the album was the the hometowns i think or your postcodes were actually printed in the liner notes 
as a part of the artwork uh-huh. on the album there. So it was a really a statement of your own truth. And I really got that aspect of it, that it was really you guys. It was a raw offering. It was like you guys, it was like come into the rehearsal room with us, guys. This is actually what we sound like after a few bevies, a few drinks. We're all yeah, getting along really sure. well. And, and I thought it was a brutal album, man. I could still hear it was your guitar playing because I can always tell you when you play. But I, I thought it suffered the same fate that what poor old morbid angel went through with the lewd divinum and sanus and and i've had a chat to david vincent about it and and, and pete sandoval mm-hmm. who didn't appear on the album and and i just think yeah. it was I, I think people in this day and age of uh internet keyboard warriors and clickbait media and people hiding behind pseudonyms it just gave them an opportunity to be fucking assholes for a period of time toward a band that didn't deserve it and both yourself and morbid don't deserve to be treated that way, man. And that was my feelings then, and it certainly is my feelings now about the whole thing. So I guess to, to cap things off, mate, do you think you'll be playing some material from the self-titled album when you do eventually do the tour for Become the Hunter? Um, it depends, you know. <clears throat> I mean, if it's a headlining show, yeah, we already have been. We, I mean, we got a couple shows coming up, and we have uh, a couple songs from the self-titled record. That's the thing that, uh, that, that the keyboard warriors and the people that maybe – uh, kind of jumped on the bandwagon yeah. uh, to bash on us. Um, I, I also will say, I, I think because of the way that the, the internet uh, reacted to the last record, I don't think that everybody really gave it a full listen. I think that a lot of people just kind of heard some of it and were like, you know what? I don't even want to give this a chance um, kind of thing, but that could be an assumption. No, I but, agree with um, you. Yeah. Yeah, I think but, you're right. But we 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 toured on that on that record and we played a lot of those songs live, like even Conformity and you know some of the the really out there songs. Um, uh, you know, Dying in a Red Room, we were playing live, and hmm. uh, you know, a, a, all those songs when we were playing them on like massive stages, like doing big Eurofests in front of tens of thousands of people, you could tell there was the people in the front row that are fans of us that maybe they were, they were, they, they would either kind of mellow out when we were playing new stuff, but then you look out at the sea of people and like those songs went over amazing. Yeah. And, and people didn't, people don't get to see that. And, and that's one thing where, you know, we, we can, we can move forward and be like, you know what? People can say whatever the fuck they want. We're still out there playing on these massive stages, playing new music and people are going insane Mm. and, and really enjoying it. So, uh, for us, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious, you know, the last record really just wasn't a a commercial success, but Hmm. for us as as individuals and as, as songwriters and as a band, like it feels really good to have exactly like you said, just kind of go in and, and, and not, um, I mean, really, we just didn't give a shit about what anybody was going to think about it. It felt good. It felt good to just let it out and just be like, you know what? Like, Let's get weird. You know, let's be vulnerable for a minute. Yeah, and, I, I could tell you know, that. Yeah, I guess because I've been around the block a few times, you know, and I don't remember when Cold Lake came out by Celtic Frost, but it's actually my favorite album from them. Yeah. And I'm not being an edge right. I'm not trying to be different about things. I mean, I love all of their stuff, by the way, but I find, and, and the reason why is I like it when music finds a, a, a place in my life in the day-to-day, and I listen to Cold Lake whenever I'm in the gym, the rare times I'm in the gym because I mainly swim, and that's where that album really yeah. helps me. So, and and I think I think your album here is going to find a place in people's life in a, in a similar way. God knows how it'll it'll work out for people, but but I think yeah, I just I, I saw the clickbait media, I saw a lot of the comments, I saw the the usual websites um, bash on it, and I thought, oh, that's that's going to a it'll affect sales, and b more to the point, the reason oh, yeah. it'll affect sales is because people won't listen to it; they'll be afraid to listen to it because they're told it's not an album that lives up to the standard of material that came before but it it actually is and and i think if anything mate you've doubled down with a big fuck you with this new album become the hunter um i i feel like i don't know whether i'm comfortable saying it's your heaviest album but it's bloody near your heaviest album ever (laughs) thanks man (laughs) you know that's really saying something with you guys too (laughs) yeah i i think um I think what it is with this one is like we, like I said, we knew what we needed to do. You know, there was definitely no doubt about, you know, where we were going to be going with the record. So mm. straight out of the gate, you know, we knew, you know, where it was going. And, uh, and we actually wrote way more material than we ever have before. 
and and we had to narrow it down to what was going to be on the record. We had, right. you know, damn near 20 fully written Shit. songs. And, you know, for us, it's usually not that way. Usually we got, you know, an extra two or three songs. But this one, it was like we had we had plenty of stuff to choose from. Uh, and I think that just kind of goes to show, like, I, I feel like the last record helped us as a band. Like, you know, we, we know, we knew, we just, we had it. We're just like, the riff's mm. got to be ferocious, you know, and the whole entire record has to fucking, you know, you got to get done listening to it and want to listen to it again. Yeah. And, and look, I've got to ask, what was the conversation? Oh, don't share with this with me if you don't, if you can't, we don't want to, mate. But getting Jerry back into the fold, mate, has that made a difference to things? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, you know, when we, when we, when we got rid of him and we were working with another manager, um, it really kind of came down to, how much of a priority we felt like we were and Hmm. Jerry, Jerry was working with a a number of bands at that time. And we, uh, we just felt like we needed to do something different since we were doing something different musically. And, you know, in the end, uh, it was very much, it was apparent. Jerry is the guy for the job. He's been the guy for the job and, the dudes that are in the band and the dudes that are working with us behind the scenes, like this is our, this is our team and it's going to be this way forever. It's very obvious to us now. Like, you know, Jerry is the member of the band and he's a great creative force. And I mean, you know, I'll say it here. I haven't said this at all in any interviews yet, but Jerry helped write the lyrics on this record. I mean, Mm. Jerry named no time to bleed, you know, like, you know, Jerry's been a part of this band for a long, long time. And, you know, I think the relationship now that we have fired him and brought him back, it's it's stronger than it's ever been. Sometimes you got to do that. You got to spend time apart in order for the relationship to become stronger. And sometimes that's the that's the only way that it happens. And it's it's very clear yeah. based on the strength of become the hunter that. Uh, well, I, I just think everything's worked out the way it was meant to. I think that for fans like myself who wanted to hear a different side and who like it when bands experiment and do some different... Well, not an experiment, you know what I mean. Do something that isn't part of the norm. There you go. Because it certainly wasn't an experimental record by any any means with their self-titled album. But the fact that, you know, you, you've come back here with an album that, man... I mean, if any of these... Uh, standard, uh, you know, metal websites. I won't name them. You know the ones I'm talking about again. Um, but if they heap any shit on you uh, for this being a reaction, you literally cannot win, can you? Meaning that if they say, oh, you're just trying to get back all of the old fans that like the heavier stuff being back in. I mean, it's catch-22 then, really, isn't it? I mean, you can only ever be yourself. And I think with this partnership that you've got there with Jerry being so fruitful and it being a very honest partnership from the sound of things, man, mate, you know, how many albums have you got out now? This is your seventh album. Mate, just look forward to the next seven and just look forward to listening to so many crushing riffs coming from you. Dude, yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, I uh, I definitely, you know, kind of saying more about, you know, you saying my riffs and, you know, inspiring, you know, the next generation of, of players. And you were talking about Dimebag. Hmm. I still, I still, you know, I've said this a number of times, like my playing and what I try to do, you know, writing music, it also is, to inspire players and inspire people to write music. And, mm-hmm. and I still, I still am trying to write the riff that when you hear it, you fucking love it. And if you've never played guitar before, you basically can pick the guitar up and play that riff first try because it's just so simple, but so fucking heavy, you know, yes. Dime did it. Iomi did it. Uh, you know, I think Jim root from Slipknot has done it. Um, you know, there's there's more, but Trey has done it. You know, I think where the slime live is the closest he's got on on some of those you know <laughs> simple effective riffs. Yeah. Trey might be a little bit of a, a, a further one, but um, I mean that's that's inspiration is is key for me because if it wasn't for inspiration, I wouldn't be playing guitar. I had to have mm. been inspired to have ever wanted to pick it up. It's interesting, isn't so, it? I, I I had a conversation um, with. 
um, Mantis from Venom many years ago, and I said that exact same thing that you just said then. I was a bass player, and I was trying to figure out how to play guitar, and I picked up my, my Randy Rhodes V copy, you know, the, the V that he, he was endorsed by him, and I started bashing, mm -hmm. that, bashing that out, and I thought, holy shit, I can actually play black metal. So I thought I must be doing something yeah. okay if I can get that through. But the thing is that, and, and it's such an important point, this one here, and I've said this many times on the podcast series, man, is that heavy metal for many of us is like, it's as, as essential as food or water. It's just a part of what makes us who we are. And it doesn't mean we look like metalheads. It's just what makes us tick internally and it's what we look forward to. And being able to listen to some of your favorite music and then being able to recreate that on an instrument, make it's that sort of thing that gets people out of really difficult spots in their life. And I hope that's not a too big a jump to make or too big a conclusion to make with some of these things because I truly believe that when people are creative and when they're inspired to be creative, mate, they become, they, they have a better sense of well-being and overall they become better contributors to society. And that is the way that I believe heavy metal is a total benefit to society. Yeah, I totally, I mean, I agree 100%. I mean, I feel like... Um... It always makes me think about, you know, when I, you know, hearing those kind of things makes me think about when I was first starting to play guitar hmm. and how much it meant to me to be able to recreate, uh, you know, a riff that, you know, one of someone that gave me to this, these strong emotions, whether it was Dimebag or Randy Rhodes, uh, you know, or, or Tony Iommi, like really those, and Angus Young, I mean, those hmm. four dudes, uh, were the reason why I wanted to start playing guitar and, you know, you're saying becoming better contributors to society. Like if it wasn't for those dudes and like me learning how to play guitar because of them and playing those riffs, like, I don't even want to know what the fuck I would be, you know, who, <laughs> where I would have gone. You know? yeah. Like it, it made me, it made me able to, you know, it gave me confidence to get on stage to play guitar, to, to have a reason to be, you know, to, to like, who, who, what was I before I was a guitar player? Like, I don't even, I, w I was, I, I don't even know, you know? Yeah. So I get it, man. I get it. And that's the point, man, is that, yeah, I, it, it gives you a career, but it's just, I, I mean, I talk to so many fans about these things, mate, and a lot of them, you know, fans, they have, some fans have depression, they might have a disability, they might have something else going on in their life that is just generally making them feel like shit. And it is heavy metal that helps them get through it. It's not, Prozac, it's not some bullshit farmer push drug. It's heavy metal and yeah. reaching for that. And it's not even the lyrics, to be honest, man. It's the inspiration from the music, you know, like I was saying. Sure. And, and I think that's so important. And, and like, there are no white papers on this shit, man. You know, like, I mean, academic reports and this stuff, man. But I might be the first person to really start to try to dive into it because that's where I, that's where I, I want to do that, you know. The overall benefit from, say, let's focus on your guitar playing. But what's the overall benefit to society in general from your guitar playing? It'd be huge, man. It just it's impossible to measure it in in using traditional analytics, if you like, man. But just talking to people, man, I know it's there. You know that. So sure. you know, it's uh Yeah, I, that 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 also that makes me think about, you know, the other end of it where there's there's the fans that are getting, you know, some benefit out of, you know, being able to enjoy the music. But I also think for me personally, and I know that this is the way that it works for a lot of, you know, heavy metal musicians, um, you know, people, people usually tend to say, you know, heavy metal musicians are, are some of the nicest people you'll meet, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that what happens is that, you know, we usually are, we're paying attention to what goes on in the world. We've, we've had our traumas, we've had our mental issues and we've, you know, we've had our own you know, whatever the kind of bullshit that happens in our lives and in the world, we, we mentally digest that and we turn that into the art that we create. And, you know, if it wasn't for having the outlets, the outlet of playing guitar and making heavy metal, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to contribute to the fans and to their, yes. you know, mental state and bring them that, bring them that joy. You know, it takes all of the negative to create the positive, to continue creating more positive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think about that, you know, just the transference of, of, of energy, you know, all throughout the world through fucking guitar, through heavy metal. And yeah, I mean, I love all kinds of music, but it's like, dude, if it wasn't for fucking heavy metal, dude, where <laughs> the hell would I be? 
Yeah, very true, brother. I know. Well, mate, you're bloody good at it. I mean, you really are one of the leading lights, as I say, man. I mean, there's, you know, there's, you got, I just, I've had a chat to so many, so many fantastic artists already in January. You know, the guys in Sepultura, guys in Corrosion of Conformity, and I'd, I had a chat to them literally days before poor old Reed passed away. You know, and and the yeah. thing is, what, and it's really interesting. And then this this year alone, meaning to January, February to date, all through January, who have we lost? We've lost Neil Peart. Um, we've lost uh, Sean Reinert from Death and Sin. Yeah. That was a big loss, man. And yeah. and I think those losses, mate, you know, they go off to the great gig in the sky. They just remind us to cherish what we've got. And that would be my message to anybody who is a part of heavy metal media and they're like, support the bands. You know, like they might not yeah. be might be doing something different or what have you, but really get behind the bands and don't politicise things, for God's sakes. Not everything has a political angle. You know, not everything is right. about privilege or really this other bullshit that gets spoken about in 2019 and 20 and, and beyond. And I know it's going to be a very interesting year, a.k.a. difficult year, with the uh, American presidential election as politics seeks to divide people yet again. And people are other, mm-hmm. they're called, you know, they're called rednecks if they vote for Trump or what have you. You know, it's all bullshit as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. And it gets away from us, for, it takes us away from our core sense of humanity mm-hmm. and, our, and our togetherness that we really should have. And I think heavy metal needs to be really a leading light in that regard. Sure. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, when it comes to music, uh, well, I mean, politics in general, I just think it's just this, such a strange thing that people concern themselves so much with world yeah. politics. When it's like, really, how much does the does the leader of any country bother you, or really affect you at all? Mm. Uh, it's it really it really does not. It, it, it is if anything, it's up to you how much you decide they affect you because there's it's it's not like they're they're literally not they're not doing anything to you directly. Your local politics, whoever your fucking city councilman or you know, whoever that they're, 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 they have more effect on you. Hmm. And when it comes, when it comes to, you know, music and, you know, and, and that it's like, people need to be more, people need to pay attention to the art in general. The, yes. the arts are what is, is, is affecting the world on a grand scale. The art, the artists and what they are doing has, they've always been the ones that are starting the grassroots movements of everything. And, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, these these massive fucking political parties and whatever they need the endorsements by the artists to mm-hmm. fucking have the, the to get the votes and stuff like that you know it's like it's a it's a strange it's a strange you know push pull that we have where it's like we think that the that the governments have a massive effect on us but dude they don't no, I agree with you totally, and I've, I've, I'm back at uni these days, you see, in my 40s with a lot of the 18 and 19-year-olds, and they get very political, right, and they get right into mm-hmm. it, and I said, look, it's a, two, it's a two-party system, I said, when in your, even at your young age, 18, 19, has your life really been that different under either government? And in Australia, we've had changes of governments, left and right-wing governments, but we're a lot more centric, centri- central, if you like, we're a centre-right and a centre-left, you know, and uh, there's not the tendency in our major left-wing party, if you like, for it to go to that Marxist angle that I sometimes see going on in the states and particularly in um, in the UK, and they get very they get they they pick up on all these hashtags and they pick up on all of these buzzwords and statements, all of the usual ones. And and I say, but exactly to your point, I say, but how is this truly affecting your life or the people's lives around you? So, and my point around that would be, I can see them getting really upset by it, how it's affecting them in their emotional state. And and, and it's yeah. like this young this young lady Greta, whatever she can do, whatever she needs to do. You know, her parents are, you know, getting her to do all sorts of stuff. But I, I look at a young lady like that and she doesn't look 16. To me, she looks a lot younger than 16, but whatever. <laughs> um, I think yeah, maybe yeah. maybe a young lady like that should probably be figuring out um, her way in the world in a bit of a different way than the way she is at the moment. That's only my opinion, of course, and I, I won't, won't sure. push you into an opinion on that one there. But I look at that <laughs> as, as a, well, I talk at that as a parent, mate, and I get a bit concerned, to be frank with you. Because I, I'd never put my daughters in that situation, you know, that where they become a global sure. spokesperson at that age. If they're in their twenties or thirties, God, their their decisions, their mistakes, you know what I mean. But bloody, as a sixteen-year-old, I look at it and think, there's there's no point in young people getting so caught up in other people's issues, so to speak, when they don't have their head around all of the data. They've only got the data that they're being given or being told, which I suppose is like the rest of us anyway. But when they're young, they have a tendency to become quite extreme. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate that that the influence that that has too on on a global scale, because then you just get the younger and younger of people that are again, like you know, we're discussing being concerned about things that they shouldn't be concerned about because it really isn't affecting them directly. And <clears throat> whether or not you know Greta is, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to say that she's a pup or that you know you know, she's being told what to say. Cause I don't know the truth, but I mean, I, I read the, I read some of it, or, you know, George Soros and, you know, mm-hmm. who's, who's funding some of these things. And, uh, you know, I don't know the truth. I don't think anybody knows the truth. And when someone's trying to tell you that they do know the truth, usually you should just fucking stop Run. listening to them. But, <laughs> yeah, Run the yeah, other way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I, it, it's unfortunate because it feels as though she is, influencing the youth to have a certain stance and when the youth has you know a voice to say to to say this certain things it's it's tugging at at at, at a certain emotional state of you know the world hmm. and 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 we shouldn't be we shouldn't be exploiting the youth to to get messages out Agreed. you know it's yeah. just, it's 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 super it's just super everything is at an extreme you know and it always will be at an extreme because we you know people talk about the future but there is no future there is right now we're living in the future and and if you don't really realize that then you know i I think you're kind of blind to it because we're we're living in some strange strange times and there's no telling what what really is going to happen i mean i'm i'm all I'm all for Bernie, dude. And if I think if Bernie, if Bernie can take this one, that's a, that's going to change. That's going to change. I think the viewpoint of, uh, of of how people are looking at the United States because right now we're we're out of it, dude. <laughs> there's there's a lot of Australians that want Tulsi to get in. Actually, you know that. Um, I don't know. I, I to yeah. be honest, me me as well. I I would love to see her as a U.S. president. Um, I, I the whole idea that, and it's I've always made this distinction with people, especially when I'm traveling. You cannot blame the American people for decisions the American government makes. Okay, she's somebody very acutely aware of that. But you know what I mean. You've traveled a lot. You hear the American bashing and all the rest of it, and people with a brain don't buy into it because they understand that the American administration actually isn't representative of the people. The decisions they make aren't representative of the people. And there's too many examples to point out, you know, like the Iraq war being a big one. You know, the majority of people would never have supported that. There's no way. There's no bloody way. And that's not not a left-wing or a right-wing take. That's just a factual take. There wasn't the data there to go to war or invade Iraq. Whatever it was, hundred percent. And and I think Tulsi's got a finger on the pulse with that. And I think for, as an outsider, that's the big thing that people have with the United States is focus on helping people in the U.S. Forget about all of these bloody regime changing wars and going into yeah. other parts of the world and sending in these poor bastards. You know, when I say poor bastards, I mean that with the greatest of respect. The American troopers to be shot at in these faraway places. Stop doing it for God's sakes, because it's not helping. It doesn't help anybody. No, no I know it. Yeah, no, she's she's great, and that's I mean her her whole thing is ending the regime, changing wars, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's definitely I I hate to you know get kind of conspiracy on it. I just feel like there's stronger powers that uh, that that's not what they want. You know that's that's you know there's 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 too much money to be made for us. Uh, supposedly, you know, in, in being at war all the time or, or at some sort of Cold War state, uh, you know, the, the our our budget is, is you know, more than 50% military. Mm-hmm. And, you well, know, that's yeah. the way that people want to keep it. It's the way that people want to keep it. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And yet, yeah, I mean, like you said, I've traveled and been traveling and I was traveling when Bush was president and I thought that was bad. And now mm-hmm. it's like, I don't even. I'll, I straight up just tell people I'm Canadian. I don't even bother <laughs> with saying I'm American. Wow, shit. Yeah, that's not good, brother. Yeah, no, that sucks, man. I mean, you got to be. I mean, you know, I'm an Australian patriot at the end of the day. I don't blame anybody for being a patriot of their great country, wherever they're from. You know, but that that's that sucks from the perspective. I I know I understand the point because there's certain countries where it's. You know, you're basically putting your life in jeopardy if you say you are from the United States, and you guys too are. So you know. Not necessarily, you know, don't go to some of those countries, but you might, you experience it to a lesser degree, is what I'm trying to say there. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, mate, so it's all, mate, 
give it give us a couple of pints um and a few talking yeah. points and we could solve the world's problems i reckon between you and i <laughs> yeah maybe 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 a maybe a couple of hits of lsd and we'll 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 solve world, world hunger well, that's mate, let me tell you, that's an entirely that's another conversation. That's where Andrew Yang, I think, has been as as bought some. I think it's Andrew Yang who brought up some really interesting points around that. I'm pretty sure Tulsi's open minded about that as well, which is very interesting to me personally. You know, I, I, I didn't hear Andrew. I didn't hear Andrew Yang talk about psychedelics. I could be wrong then, mate. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts, and the interview subjects usually blend into one after the other after a period of time. But uh, um, any no, you could you could be right. You could be right. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang had me for a while, you know. But if it comes to the Democratic Party, like just just the, I mean, Bernie's been going at it, dude. Like he's 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 always been one of my favorite dudes, and I never thought he would actually have like a chance and hmm. just seeing where he's at right now. It's like, it would be great to see him win. I think, I think he'll give him a go. I don't know whether he'll win to be honest, mate. I think that Trump might have it. No. I mean, everything that the Democrats have done has backfired every single bloody thing. They are literally, it's like, it's like Trump has given them the textbook of how not to beat him. And they're following every, every point in that to an inevitable conclusion yeah. that, and I, I just, I, first thing is I question Bernie's age. Okay. Not, not his, not his temperament or his intellect, but his age. I, yeah. I, I don't get. He's only, his, four, he's only four years older than Trump. Yeah, I, I know, but he looks so much older, doesn't he? And that's yeah. where, where I, <laughs> that's the thing I look at it. But I think if it was, say, for example, a uh, Bernie Tulsi one, two, mate, I think you might have a real fight on your hands there. And that's what I hope happens for the good people in the United States. You know, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. doubt it will. But, yeah. I doubt it will, too. I, I don't think the Democratic Party can come together. That's, I mean, and, I, and that's the biggest problem. I think that it's the, it's the Democrats are against themselves, amongst themselves, is yes. what it seems like. Yeah. Well, you've got the same issue here in Australia where you've got, basically, if you vote left-wing these days, you're generally in an inner-city area living in a multi-million dollar house. Not generally, I shouldn't say that, but that's the impression that people have. They call them cafe-sipping socialists, uh, latte-sipping socialists. And a lot of the mm. traditional blue-collar areas, semi-rural, out-of-suburban areas, mate, they all vote centre-right these days. You can see it in a map, the Australian electoral map, you can see it, and I think it's very similar in the United States. And until left-wing parties such as the Labor Party in Australia, the Labor Party in the UK, and also the Democratic Party in the United States, until they figure out how to appeal to that very broad church and make sure everybody's included and groups within that aren't excluded because of race or what have you, because that's what's happening. You know, the, the identity politics side of it, until they figure that side of it out, man, I just don't see them ever getting back in. True, true. Why? Well, I mean, Oh, it's, t I mean, it's so tough. I think of America and, you know, traveling throughout America, there's, it's, it, it's, dare I say, it feels like we are not one country. It feels like there's, there's such a divide in the kinds of people that we have. And, you know, I don't want to bash the Bible belt or the middle of America Hmm. But it's like the, the the difference between them and people on the coasts. It's it's that's where that's where all the blue is, and that's that that's where you know there's this massive divide, and that's where Trump wins. That's where you know that's it's just a different spot. Hmm. It's I don't know how else to put it. It feels it feels different. Same with Texas. I feel like Texas should be its own freaking country. Yeah, well, you're looking. I was, it's funny. I was just looking at an, a, the way the US voted in 2016 when Trump got in. And to your point, yeah. the left and right um, coasts, so the eastern um, west coast, they're blue and just all the middle, except for Colorado, I think. I could be wrong. Colorado, I think, was Democratic, but the rest of it was, was um, blue, uh, red, uh, being Republican, yeah. uh, for those who aren't familiar with the color association there. Um, but right. yeah, it was in really interesting to see that. And there's definitely an us versus them mentality, uh, emerging there. And I think a, you've got establishment candidates such as, um, Elizabeth Warren, and she's a bit of a disaster, really. Uh, you got, um, totally. uh, Joe Biden, who is another disaster. He's not even compass to be honest with you. I mean, the YouTube clips that I've seen of him saying some truly bizarre things and sniffing young girl's hair is really bizarre. Mm -hmm. What the fuck's mm -hmm. going on with that? You know? Um, and then... Yeah, 
the Republicans just seem to get a jump on everybody and put a non, or a begr- very begrudgingly, put a non-establishment candidate in because the regular people seem to view the Bushes, the Clintons, the Bidens, the Romneys as part of the same cabal. Doesn't They seem to not associate it anymore with partisanship, meaning Democratic or Republican. They just see that they're at the same mm-hmm. table. So they're trying to vote for anti-establishment uh, candidates, which is why I think to your, you know, your, your fellow there, uh, Sanders, will be the Democratic nominee. I can only really sure. see that happening. People are fed up and they want to give him a go. And he, he he would have beaten Trump last time if he'd gotten in, if it wasn't for, for all of the shit that, that Clinton's pulled. He, right. He would have gotten right. in. He was more popular than she was. People forget that. And then I won't go into the detail about what happened, mate. Anybody can read up about it. It's, <laughs> it's there. I mean, but, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very unusual situation. Effectively, I feel a part, democracy was hijacked. Through the through the Clintons uh, bunting out um, Sanders like they did, because uh, I don't know what sort of a president he would have been, but he really should have been the nominee in 2016, as I believe he will be this time around. So, mate, maybe you'll get your wish. Maybe a miracle will happen, and maybe he'll get in. <laughs> well, anybody's better than Trump. That's pretty much <laughs> how it's going to go. And it, and if Trump if Trump wins again, I very well could just leave America. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that a lot, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh yeah, I think it's it's just very strange to see somebody who was a reality TV star and a real estate son of a real estate mogul who just sort of managed to keep his money. The big thing about Trump though is he just understands the media. That's his game, the media. And he does. Yeah. That's yeah. it. He understands the media better than better than any president basically ever. Um and mm-hmm. that's and his base is he communicates to his base through social media. It's fucking weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super weird. It's uh, it's just we've arrived at this very funny point, mate, in 2020. But we just here to participate, not make the rules up. It's 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 only going to get weirder, dude. It's only going to get weirder. Have you ever, you've seen Idiocracy? I have, but remind me again. It's a couple of years old now, isn't it? Idiocracy. Idiocracy. Is, it was uh, it was Mike Judge, the guy that made Beavis and yes. Butthead. He made he made a, a movie about in the future how it's like only stupid people were breeding, and basically like the the, the president the president his name was uh, like like Hormel Mountain Dew. Like he was just like he was like owned by all the corporations. Yes, and he was he was also like he was like a wrestler, like a WWF wrestler. <laughs> And I mean, we're live. We we really are living in 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 that sort of era. And I I wouldn't doubt that Trump's influence on uh you know celebrities. I I, I almost feel like celeb more celebrities are going to be running for president in the next you know decade. Yeah, that's a worry. That's a massive worry. That one. The celebrities are just good in uh, that to the my exact point. They're just good with the media. They're not good with policy or anything else or understanding what the hell's yeah. going on in in. China or Russia or anywhere, they don't understand foreign policy, so they've got to bring these people in yeah. who claim to understand it because they're career politicians, and they go, well, if you think that's what I should do, that's what I'll do. Um, right. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, mate, I don't know. As I say, brother, you give us, I'm with you on the LSD front, um, you know, I, 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 <laughs> well, mate, my, my view ultimately is that it's a private property issue, and, and people should be allowed to do all these psychedelics, which are very different to methamphetamines and those insidious substances, mate. These are these give you a window to the soul, LSD and AFUSA. You know, every it almost should be something that you do once you leave school, as a young man or woman. You know, to get to gain some insight, wisdom. I feel like there should be there should be a a a global day where it's accepted to do it, and everyone should be aware that everyone can do it, and it's just a, a global holiday that if you choose to do it. And you should then you choose to do it, and I think it could you know really raise the consciousness of of the whole entire planet, almost like mass meditation. Hmm. I, think it would be, I think it would be great, and I think we're getting closer and closer to you know the acceptance of it. I mean, already you know in our country we've got them doing uh, studies on psilocybin, and like MDMA is getting closer. And I know MDMA yeah. is, is is a touch is a touchy one, but. Uh, you know, you, you know Paul Stamets. You know who this guy is. Uh no, tell me. Go for it. Paul Stamets is a is a mycologist. He's a, he's the mushroom guru. Like mm-hmm. he's not only you know an advocate for psilocybin, but because of him, I know about you know all these mushroom strains and reishi and turkey tail and lion's mane and 
all these kinds of things that yeah. uh, they've done. They've done so much research on, you know, the, the, the health benefits of them. And, uh, you know, yeah, Paul Stamets just watched, you know, his Ted talk on how, uh, how fungus will save the world and it'll blow your mind. Like he's got, okay. he's got, yeah, he's got remedies on how to like clean up the oils, the oil spills in the ocean with mushrooms or with fungus, how to like, how to get ants out of your house, how to get uh, rodents out of your house, you know, all these, all these different things that just, uh, it, it, it'll blow your mind. He's, he's really, he's really the man. Yeah. You're giving me my afternoon reading and, um, my kids, my daughter's birthday is on tomorrow, so or Monday, but we're having a party tomorrow. I've got to put together a little car for her that we've got, mate. But you can guess what I'm going to be listening to in the background now, whilst I'm putting that thing. You'll together. love it. <laughs> you really, you really, you really will love it. If I'm not, if I'm not playing guitar or fucking thinking of riffs, I'm listening to podcasts too, and I'm checking out all these, all these kind of. There's, there's just a lot. There's a lot of knowledge out there these days, you know all politics aside, all that fucking bullshit, like the internet podcasts, you know, everything that's available. It's like you're, you're, you're holding right now. I'm talking to you on a supercomputer that I could literally research anything I want to right now, yeah, I know. which is pretty freaking amazing. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And just to your point about podcasting, you know, I, I've listened to so much of my understanding. My, my awareness certainly was being raised by Joe Rogan and the people that he was talking to about psilocybin. And um, all, all of the the adjacent um, compounds, if you like, and and then diving into some of that one there. We just the problem in Australia here, it's illegal. So it's it's. I mean, it's, I mean even if you were going to try to find something like that, you run the you run the gauntlet really. Um, and when you've got a family, you've got to be very careful of these things, as, as you can appreciate. But but it it certainly got me to a point where I was like, well, I mean, what I. What, it's not that I don't believe that people suffer depression. I, I do believe that. But I think a lot of the general malaise that is throughout society can be alleviated by having by being matched with, and this is where I think it's headed, mate, by being matched with. You talk about lion's mane mushrooms. All these mushrooms do something different. They give you a, a different experience. Mm-hmm. There will be a chemist. Let's call it a chemist because it is a scientific process that will marry an individual up and actually treat the symptoms with a specific yeah. type of mushroom. Mate, and it's MDMA is being it was it was originally pr- produced, I understand, as an antidepressant, wasn't it? And it was given to and it was uh, it just became a bit of a party drug. But its whole purpose was to, to be treated to was to treat depression and symptoms of malaise. And somehow we've gone away from that, and we treat these things uh, as as criminal substances. And of course, by treating them as a criminal substances, you just attract more people who like criminal substances. I don't know how else to put it, you know. And, and until yeah. we, we sort of, as a society, grow up, and that's really what it is: have a mature, really think about these things, and and have a look at what happens in the has happened in the past through the temperance movement, which led to abolition, which of course led to the bloody mafia and their reign of terror. And now, of course, these days, you've got the bloody cartels there in, in, in Mexico who have long tentacles in the United States. And until you can actually have a rational conversation about legalising these substances, and marijuana is a massive one, but as, a, as is, I don't, I don't take any of the other stuff, cocaine or what have you, but there's got to be a conversation around the fact that people have an insatiable appetite for these things, so how the hell can we give it to them without creating a cartel-like situation? Because by, by prohibiting these things, A, it's, it's hurting society because people aren't getting medicine, in my view. But also, two, uh, you're creating these criminal organisations that are ferocious, like the cartel situation where they're overrunning the government in many, many states and provinces in Mexico. And we've just got to right. grow up about these things, in my opinion. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, and as we're, as you were talking about podcasts, I'm sure you listened to, uh, I think his name was Ed Calderon. He's a Tijuana, I believe he was a, a police officer I, in Tijuana. He was on Joe Rogan recently. Yeah, I did listen to that one. That's a you great did? One. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, and like to kind of like touch on what he's talking about, and I see it and I know it. I live in California, and you know, we're like the melting pot of, of marijuana. Like mm-hmm. so much weed is grown in California and illegally. And now it's not federally legal, but it is recreationally legal in California and the legalization of it. <clears throat> I know for sure. I live in an area where cartel now can come and they can go buy property and they can legally grow weed mm. and, 
the, the cartels don't grow weed or, you know, marijuana in Mexico anymore. They converted all of their grows into poppies and they're making heroin. So all of the weed that the cartels used to grow in Mexico, they come over to California and grow it. And now in Mexico, they're, they're producing more yeah. opiates. Yeah. And now there's this opiate epidemic and it's directly, it's directly because of this kind of mis, you know, miscommunication or, or ignorance of, uh, of what's of our politics and their politics and who knows what kind of corruption is behind all of that shit. But I mean, hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's real life. You know, the cartels are fucking scary shit. And, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I live in California. There's, they're, they're, they're here, you know, they're, they're, they're not, it's not a, it's not something that that's the local politics that, you know, that I am aware of that affects me on the day to day. Like there's a city right, right over here called Anza that mm. they do, they do sweeps and they do raids out there and they're trying to shut down, you know, cartel people, cartel growers they're trying to shut them down, yeah. but they got infinite amount of money and they end up shutting down. Like to me, I would call them innocent people that it's like, yeah, you got two acres and you're growing weed and yeah, you're selling weed, but you're just, you're not, you're not a real criminal. You know, you're, you're, you're just trying to make a living, Yeah. you know, yeah. but there's people, there's, there's straight up fucking evil people over here that are, you know, they're straight cartel people from Mexico. Just maybe they're even on guerrilla land. They're not even paying for it. They just go fucking. That is exactly what they do, brother. Yeah. They or another uh, was a park ranger that was on Joe Rogan's show was talking about how he stumbled across rediverted creeks and small rivers and the like that now are growing them on, uh, national parks in the United States, the cartels are growing marijuana and, and probably other things on national parks in the United States. And this is a, a ranger who just has a you know a buckshot rifle or what have you on his on his back, coming across very mm-hmm. sophisticated growth operations, and they're using all sorts of chemicals to enhance the growth too. So when that shit hits the market, mate, it is not organic marijuana. You're you're smoking or you know in your tincture, you're taking some pretty bad shit along with your marijuana too, mate. That'll probably uh, all these unintended side effects and consequences and and you know the the cartels make isis blush you know i mean right. you've, you've probably seen bescore you know the website bescore i yeah. mean occasionally i'll go on there just to remind myself that the world is a very dangerous place and the things that i have seen the cartels do to people mate isis couldn't even do them in their wildest dreams and and no way. just the families man the fucking families that get caught up in this stuff and i just feel so, you know, I don't know what's, you can't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say, okay, of course I feel sorry for them, but I feel helpless. You know, I feel like these are people that just have, have lost the, the geographic lottery and they're born in Mexico in an impoverished area and they're forced into working for the cartels. And if one person from the village talks to the police or what have you, then effectively the whole village gets annihilated. You know, and and people yeah. people aren't aware of this, man. What's going on down there? And a lot of it is because of prohibition of products and substances in the United States and in the Western world. And I know the cartel have got operations in Australia, mate. Can you believe that? You know. Oh yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I know just just it, the the cartels are, are much larger than just you know a drug trafficking organization. You know, they they, and I think they talk that he talks about it on that podcast too. But it's like, I'm, I mean, I don't even want to like divulge and like the, the people that I know and the people, the things that I've learned from real life directly talking to people. It's like cartels own businesses or are invested in businesses all over the world. Hmm. They're, they're, they're not just illegal, you know, you know, cash businesses. They're like taxed, you know, real life. They're smart. You know, they're everywhere. Yeah. They're everywhere. They're very smart. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, but you know, we, you talk about the Mexican cartel, but, it, you know, you could probably say the same thing about many governments, you know, the, the yeah. Russian government, <laughs> the American government, yeah. every, every, every government, you know, uh, out there, you could basically just call them, you know, a legitimized cartel. The corporations are the fucking the evilest ones. Yeah, every government serves the ruling interest, doesn't it? Meaning the partisan ruling interest. And they just feather their nest and to try to keep themselves in power and hang on to power at all costs. We see that constantly, whether it's a democracy or whether it's China. China recently, Xi Jinping there, has recently introduced, I don't know what you'd call it, legislation or what have you, whatever their equivalent is in a, in a communist country. 
He's the supreme mm-hmm. leader these days, men. I don't even think that yeah. there's a the natural there's a term. There, I think you remove the term of office for it for the. Uh, did you call it, do you call it the president? I think you call it the president or yeah. the prime minister in China. One yeah. or two, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a very unusual situation in a communist country for somebody to further secure power because they've basically got power absolute. And this is about an yeah, individual, probably. you know. And yeah, I think I think it's very true, man. And I, and I think it, you know, it all just to bring it full circle. I think everything we talk about, man. There's a lot that goes on in the world, man. That especially as a parent as I am, that it's not about being concerned, but I have to concern myself with it in terms. Of I have to raise my awareness about these things. But for me personally, it's music that gets me by. You know what I mean? I, I read, all, I, I listen to Joe talking to all sorts of different guests and a heap of other podcasts, Sam Harris, Dave Rubin, whoever else it might be, man. And a lot of the things that they bring up, man, if you if you think focus on them for too long, man, you can, you're pretty much diving for a beer straight away just to sort of take the edge off things, man. But you don't have to do that. Music's there for you. And I think that's the big point. No matter what part of the political divide you're on, no matter what you truly believe in, if something is causing you internal grief and turmoil, then music is a thing that can at least help you in some way get through that, you know. And and I yeah. think in this day and age, man, with you know in Southern California there, and um, uh, is it Phoenix? Is that the the not Phoenix? Um, is Arizona the state next to California, or is that Nevada? In both, both, both. Yeah. Well, Ari- I, uh, yeah. I know you see it. You you see what you probably suspect are cartel operations going on around you, and in those three places, in, in the three places there are mentioned. So, I mean, what do you do, man? You can't control these things. You can just hope that ruling interests have the broader interests at heart, and maybe they don't. And apart from that, mate, in your case, just keep on crafting vicious and brutal heavy metal, mate, that the masses love. That's that is the name of the game, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I a long time ago. Um, I discovered something called the Tao. And I don't know if you've ever read the Tao before, I've but it's, it, a, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an old Chinese, uh, it's, a, it's a book of short poems. And the Tao spoke to me so hard. And, and one of the main things that it said was if it don't concern yourselves, yourself with things that you cannot change. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that, I mean, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but, that's that has been my you know one of my main uh what's the word i'm looking for like uh like my ethos sure yeah uh and and also you know to be not to not be competitive and when it comes to music i can affect music and i've and and that's that's something that i have you know somehow i've been blessed with the ability to affect some sort of the the metal history and in a, in my own way, I am non-competitive with it. I just contribute to it, and that's something that I'm uh, extremely grateful for and humbled by. And that's what I'll do for life. And uh, I try to bring a positive energy to it, no matter how brutal and aggressive and potentially violent or vulgar, uh, you know, what it is that I'm putting out. It comes from a place of peace, and it yeah. comes from a place of, of of caring about humanity and. You know, no matter how uh, you know deep the rabbit hole is, and how far the walls are away from you know my ability to climb out of it, like no matter what, that rabbit hole is resulting in fucking riffs and fucking sick, <laughs> sick ideas that you know again they come from a place of peace. So, <laughs> well, love your work, mate. I better. I better leave it there. Um, but my final question for you is: I usually do these things and intend on releasing them as a podcast episode. But mate, I, I have to give you the courtesy, mate, of uh, asking you if you want me to release this as a podcast episode, given the the amount of things we've covered. Or do you want me to do an edit and send it through to you? And if you don't like it, mate, I definitely won't release it. Um, I mean, I'm fine with any of it. I, I'm pretty much I'm I'm an open book. I don't really I don't really give a shit. I'm me, and <laughs> and I've been that way forever. So. If well, you think, want to do a podcast with it and release it how it is, that's totally fine with me. What I love about doing this, man, is I, I haven't, I have so, you know, people have been given now the extra dimension to you and and to the band as well, and and I think that's what people love about podcasts, mate. For all of the reasons that we've spoken about, well, we like podcasts as well, man. So, look, I really appreciate that, brother. You know, some, some I always give the artists the option there when we've gone into politics, and and more often than not, the answer is no, and I always respect that. But, mate, it's it's a it's a thrill for me to be able to release something like this so that people can hear that you have an opinion on things, an informed opinion on things, alongside of being an excellent guitarist. 
Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I, I, I'm usually not one to talk about politics or, or like really have politics, you know, be involved in, uh, suicide silence. But, you know, at the same time, like if it is, if it happens, you know, it happens very rarely and it's totally fine with me. Sweet. Yeah. Well, mate, um, I really hope we can catch up when you come to Australia and just have a beer, you know, have a beer together, mate. You know, oh, it'd be great. It'd be awesome to do that. But look, you know, it goes without saying congratulations on an epic career to date and long may you guys reign. I mean, on the strength of this latest album, man, you guys are going to be around for a hell of a long time, of course. But of course, you've got the back catalogue there. But just this new album, man, is it's really something special. And I'm not just saying that. I've, I've It's probably my favourite album from you guys so far, it must be said. And, uh, you know, um, I still listen to the self-titled album. I had it on last night. Um, and, man, I, I just think, you know, with what you guys are doing, um, mate, and your contribution to heavy metal, mate, it's just a really vital and important thing, man. So thanks very much for doing what you've been doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that so much, man. Yeah, and hopefully we can catch up. That'd be nice, brother. No worries. All right, well, good luck with everything and chat again soon, maybe. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Okay, catch ya. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name, of course, is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was the great Mark Heilman from Suicide Silence. Thanks for listening.